0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Uh, In your Bibles, you can be opening to Genesis chapter 22. And y'all, this is kind of like the last act in the life of Abraham that we're going to look at. And so we've been going on this journey through Genesis. You could kind of see it as an education of Abraham. And we've learned a couple things so far, haven't we? So one thing we've learned is even backing up all the way to the garden, we can see, hey, if it's up to us, even a little bit, we're just going to spiral down into hopelessness. I mean, even if there's just one command to obey and that's all, we're not going to do it. Even after we've seen all these miracles, things like God saving us from a catastrophic flood, as soon as those waters recede, we're back into this spiraling down of evil and selfishness and hopelessness until one day God decides to reveal himself to this nobody, this, this wandering, nomadic, uh, homeless, childless son of a pagan worshiper named Abraham. And he reveals itself to Abraham, and he says, okay, this is how it's going to work from here on out. Here's how you're going to have a relationship with me. And so we said these aren't just stories from back by and by. God is establishing a pattern for how we have a relationship with him. So here's the pattern. Here's what we've seen over and over again. All God wants from us is faith. That's it. It's not a long list, nothing to do, just faith. What is faith? Well, faith is when we trust him enough to build our whole lives on his promise." So faith is just, I don't trust me, I trust him. And I trust him enough with my whole life. That's faith. And y'all, throughout Abraham's life, and we've really, we've covered about 50 years from chapter 12 to chapter 22 today. God, he's been like a gardener. He's been planting these seeds of faith and watering them and feeding them and giving them sunlight. And then, uh uh-oh, he's got to do some pruning. Just ask Sarah about that. He's got to do a lot of pruning. But y'all, today, today we see faith bloom. We see the fruit burst forth of what God has been working in Abraham over and over and over again. And if I I can say this, y'all, it's amazing. It's unbelievable the level of faith we see today. It's like track one on the greatest hits of faith. The Bible writers coming in the future, they're going to go back to this over and over and over again and say, look at this. Look at what Abraham does. This is faith. Faith. But you know what else it is besides amazing Y'all, it's terrifying. It is like, Glup. really? It's hard. Because it turns out, this is the lesson that Abraham's going to learn today. It's a lesson we have to learn. turns out faith is not winning the lottery. Faith is not having God swoop in and solve all your problems so you have no problems. Faith is not having all the answers. Faith is letting go of everything but God. Faith. Is letting go of everything but God. So turn with me to Genesis 22. We'll read the first couple verses to begin with. It says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So we, we have, a, we have a, a good first signal from Abraham. So the first thing Abraham says, he's going to say it all throughout the chapter, God says something, and then Abraham says, here I am. It's like a soldier standing at attention. Tin hut. I'm ready to take your orders. I'm ready to do whatever you call me to do. So his first reaction is faith, but that faith is going to be tested in a way that we know that he doesn't. So the text lets us in on a secret. God is about to test Abraham. We know that. Abraham doesn't know. And his actions throughout the rest of the chapter are going to reveal this. Now, it's so important, before we dive too far in, how we understand this test. Y'all, how we understand this test is key because if we misunderstand, we can kind of turn God into this cruel trickster, you know, or some kind of a taskmaster. So most of us, this is the first place I went this week studying this passage. When we think test, I think like a math test. There I am. Back in high school, and this math teacher, you know, slides this sheet of paper in front of me to see if I measure up, to see if I know my stuff, to see if I can perform. That is not how God tests us. That's not what a test is in the scriptures, and we'll see this. See, God is not a math teacher. God is a goldsmith. He's a goldsmith. Proverbs is going to help us understand this. Proverbs 17.3 says this. The crucible is for silver. The furnace is... Is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. See, so we got some parallelism here. As one thing is, so is another thing. So what the furnace is for gold, that's what our tests and trials are for our hearts. And think about a furnace. Y'all, a furnace isn't meant to see if gold can perform good enough and make the great good enough to be considered gold. No, no, no. When you put gold in a furnace, the goldsmith, he knows it's gold. He already knows that. The problem is... It's not only gold. The problem is there's things in there that are not gold, you see? There's gold, but there's lots of impurities. They call dross. And the goldsmith, what is he doing? He's using that furnace to draw out the dross and purify what's already there. The goldsmith uses the furnace to change it. Trials is what this verse is saying. Trials are the way God changes our hearts. He's not the math teacher. He is the goldsmith, you see. This shows up again, even in the New Testament, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 says this. says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though that perishes, though it It is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what does he say here? What's the treasure that God the goldsmith is after? It's our faith. He said it's, it's a greater treasure than gold. The problem is there's lots of things in our heart that aren't faith. Even when there is faith there, even when we have been following God and walking with him, we do have some faith. Sometimes there's things that are there in there that are not faith. See, I don't know about you, but I like to build my life on things that feel good or things that I can control. You know who I like to trust? Me. There's three people I like to trust, me, myself, and I. I like to trust maybe a political party. Or you know what's real easy to trust? Money in the bank. I like trusting some of that. So how does God purify our faith and remove some of these things from our hearts that are not faith? Tests, trials, that's how he does it. But y'all, we have to acknowledge, I don't know if you've ever seen a goldsmith's furnace. or a, uh, it's, it's hot, and not a little hot, a lot hot, white, burning hot. First Peter says it, it's, these trials, they grieve us. And if you've been alive more than 10 minutes, you know exactly what he is saying. But I, he, here's what we're going to find out. Here's what these verses are telling us. Faith is worth the fire. Faith is worth the fire. So, yes, it hurts. Yes, it's a trial. Yes, it's hot. Yes, it grieves us. But it's worth it because God changes our hearts. So here's the question for Abraham as he moves into this test. And here's a question for us. Do you trust the goldsmith enough to let him do his work? Does Abraham trust? Let's keep reading. We'll find out. But he's gonna, we're going to find out pretty soon because in verse 2, he's told what God is asking him to do, what this test is. He's going to be asked to sacrifice his son. Now, let's talk about child sacrifice, shall we? That sounds grotesque to us. That sounds weird to us. Y'all, it was common in the ancient Near East. In fact, that's probably the least surprising thing to Abraham in this whole story. If you look at the Canaanite religion, it was common to go sacrifice your firstborn son. Well, why? Because their understanding of the gods, y'all, the gods, they were kind of emotionally unstable okay they'd be having a great day they'd be super happy and they'd make your crops grow but then something would make them mad and they'd get really upset and angry and so they'd send something to smite you or they send a famine or they burn all your crops or something like that okay and so this was a way you can manipulate the gods you can kind of make them happy again so they'll bless you okay if i just sacrifice this then god will be like hey i like that guy let's make his crops grow okay is that's what's happening here that's what we got to figure out. Is that what is happening here? Men and women, everything in the text is telling us, no, no, this God is different. And we'll get there. But first, we're going to experience that furnace a little bit. Notice how he, he talks about Isaac, how God says it. Your son. Your only son. You know the only one you have? Because by this time, all other options have been sent out. They've been expelled. This is literally the only son that Abraham has. Calls him by name Isaac. Means laughter, the joy of your life, whom you love. I mean, why couldn't God to say, hey, that kid over there? The text wants us to feel the furnace being turned up on Abraham. And it is. It, every time he says it, man, my, my heart just aches. Remember what Isaac was. Isaac was the one blessing that Abraham wanted most and could not attain for himself. He questioned God repeatedly about it. He laughed when God said it would happen. He tried to do it on on his own with Eleazar, then Lot, then Ishmael. Yet God promised repeatedly, over and over, I will give you this son. God walked the blood. He gave the mighty oath. He rejected all the alternatives. And when Abraham was 100 years old, God miraculously followed through In his his promise. And so as we read this, we, we are supposed to be perplexed. We are supposed to be shouting, why are you doing this? I don't understand. This makes no sense. Remember, it's Abraham's test, and here's his test. Abraham, do you trust me with your whole life, even the parts that are most precious to you, and even when it doesn't make sense? What we see from Abraham, total trust. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. So Abraham, he rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. So we're told that Abraham, he rose early and went. Immediate obedience. God, here I am. Woke up early to go. He saddled his donkey. He got two servants. He cut some wood. He is making all the preparations needed to do what God has asked him to do. He intends to do it. Now, there's there's no evidence that Abraham knew what was coming next. There's no evidence he knew the details of the plan. He just knew what God had asked him to do, and he was going to do it. And then, and y'all, I'd read this story a bunch. I never realized this, or it never stuck out to me. He, It was a three-day journey. He had to travel with his most cherished possession, on his way to sacrifice it for three days. Can you imagine how agonizing 72 hours that must have been? I imagine Abraham and Isaac stopping every night to sleep on the ground and look up at the stars. What do you think Abraham thought about when he looked up at the stars at night? I think probably that night God took him outside and said, Abraham, look at the stars in the sky That's what your offspring will be like. And now he sits under those same stars on his way to sacrifice his son. Yet, yet for three days, he woke up in the morning, he got up, and he kept going towards what God had called him to. It's amazing. I like the way Fleming Rutledge said it. She said, our father Abraham, through his three days agony, has taught us how to be believers. supposed to watch and say, this is faith. So here's another lesson I think Abraham is teaching us about faith. Faith is when you go, even when you don't know. Faith is when you go, even though you don't know. Abraham doesn't know how it's going to work out. He doesn't know what's going to happen, yet he is trusting God. Verse 5, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, this is interesting. Abraham tells his servants so they're about to go up on the mountain, but he tells his servants, me and the boy, we're going to be back. The text, again, it shows us Abraham absolutely intends to sacrifice Isaac, so how can he tell his servants they're going to come back? Well, Hebrews actually helps us out on this. Hebrews 11, verse 17 through 19, says this. By faith, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, Offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, "Through Isaac shall your offspring be named." He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So this this is amazing. This is before Abraham had received any of the rest of Scripture, any of the promises of resurrection, but still he trusted God that God would do all that God was said He was going to do. And so Abraham reckoned, he reasoned, you know what? Even if it takes raising Isaac from the dead, God will do it. He has the power. He has the faithfulness. He's saying God's promises aren't threatened even a little bit. I can trust God. How could Abraham have that kind of trust? How could he? Well, in a way, he would already seen it. See, there's a sense, a way in which the birth of Isaac was bringing life from the dead. Remember, Sarah was completely barren, and they were old, old, old. But God had brought life to a lifeless situation. And Abraham, so Isaac's 25 years, about 25 years old by this point. So Abraham had spent the last 25 years with a living, walking, breathing life that God had brought from death. So he knew something about God's character. He had learned lessons about who God was, and he knew he could trust him. Let's keep going. Verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son. He took in his hand the fire and knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. So we find out in verse 6, Abraham makes Isaac carry the wood. So Abraham's 125. He's got this young whippersnapper who's 25. He says, you carry the heavy stuff, okay? Smart. But Abraham, the father, carries the knife and the fire. The instrument of death is carried by the father. And then verse 7, verse 8, this is is where we get the part that's terrifying. I mean, it's it's heart-wrenching, and it's supposed to be. We get Isaac's question, but daddy, father, what? Where is the Lamb? And Abraham answers with trust. God will provide for himself the Lamb. Abraham, he doesn't respond with the when, where, how, or what. He doesn't know any of that. He can't tell his son any of that. But he responds with the who. He tells Isaac in the original language, he tells him, the God who sees. He says, God sees. That word provide is actually see. It's where we get the name for God, Jehovah Jireh. That's the God who sees. That's what Abraham's going to name this place in verse 14 here in a little bit. But it doesn't mean see like the way you see Dancing with the Stars on television, you just kind of like passively watch. Probably the closest way we use this in our language is we say things like, I'll see to it. So we've got, you know, in our neighborhood, there's some other kids and friends with my kids, and sometimes they'll come over to the house and their mom will text, hey, it's, It's time for so-and-so to come home. And so I may in that moment say, hey, I'll see to it that he gets home. What am I saying there? Well, I'm saying that I'm giving my full attention and I'm taking responsibility for this happening. I've committed to it. I see it. I will see to it. Abraham is telling his child Isaac, I've spent my whole life learning about God. He always sees to it. He always provides. Because back in chapter 12, Abraham, he was a nobody, and God provided the call. He provided the promise. Twice, twice when Abraham had lied about his wife and abandoned her, God provided rescue. Three times, Abraham had tried to provide a false heir, and God had provided the true heir, Isaac. God had seen to it every step of the way. So I think we can learn this about faith. Faith makes sense even when it doesn't. Faith makes sense. Y'all, even when it doesn't, even when I don't know, even when I don't understand. There's a lot I don't understand. One of those things is cars and how they work. I don't understand cars at all. I don't, I know. Look, I turned my man card in a long time ago when I bought a minivan, okay? But let's say the guy, I, I now drive a truck, so I got my man card back a little bit. Let's say the guy who, the head engineer of Toyota that designed my truck came to me and said, listen, if you drive that truck another mile, it's going to blow up on you and totally incinerate you, okay? Uh, You got to change out. I got to come in there. I got to change out the, I don't the flex capacitor, elbow joint. I don't know what they are. I got to change something out. And I said, wait a minute. I don't understand any of that. That's that makes no sense to me. I don't understand what you're trying to do. So no, keep your hands off my truck. Well, y'all, that would be insane. That would be silly, right? What I should do is trust the one who created the thing and knows more about it than I do. That's what makes sense. After all, I trusted him enough to buy the car and drive it every day. Why wouldn't I trust him now? Who gave Isaac to Abraham? God. Did it make sense back then when Abraham was 100 years old? No. Didn't make sense then. So why wouldn't Abraham trust God now, even when it doesn't make sense? So listen, you may not understand what's going on in your life right now. That's okay. That's okay. You just have to trust that God is still who he has always been. When you don't know the what, when, where, why, or how, you still know the who. You still know the who. The God who sees. And as long as he's the God who sees and provides, faith makes sense, even when it doesn't. Finally, verse 9, the story reaches its crescendo. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there. He laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from ever, a, heavens and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, that's the angel, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Man, I don't know about you, but in this story, finally you get to verse 11 and the angel comes to stop, And it's like, oh, oh, thank you. And finally... Finally, this tension is relieved, like, whew, oh. But listen to Abraham's response. When the angel stops him, the same response is the first time God showed up. Here I am, tin hut, ready to do all that you've asked me to do. And this angel, he says, for now I know. Now, in the way we translate it, it can sound like this was a big surprise to the angel. Like, Abraham, we didn't really think you'd go through with it. That's not what's happening. This same phrase that appears repeatedly in the Old Testament, this expression, now I know, is always the joyful cry of a person who has experienced God's provision. You can find it in Psalms, you can find it in Exodus, you can find it in 1 Kings. It's how people celebrate when God has done something amazing. See, it's one thing to know God will provide, it's one thing to trust Him, and then it's another to actually experience it. Have you ever seen the Harlem Globetrotters? Everyone, anyone ever been to see the Harlem Globetrotters? Way before you go, you know what's going to happen, right? They're going to beat the Washington Generals, and they're going to make baskets by, I don't know, headbutting it in or kicking it in and spinning around and all these things. You know, you know. but you don't cheer from your house three days before you go. You don't applaud and clap while you're in the car on the way there. It's not till you are there and you experience it that the applause begins. So this, this, when the angel says this, when the angel says, now I know, this is when cheering erupts from heaven. And all the heavenly host says, there's the gold. There it is. God, the goldsmith. We knew he was going to bring it forth, but now we see it. Now we experience the goldsmith has completed his work, and the treasure is beautiful. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So Abraham experiences a miracle, a miracle that many of you starting the first weekend of November will hope to experience. He sees an animal caught by its horns in the thicket ready to just be taken. Can you imagine deer hunters? Get up in the stand and just, there it is, a huge bug with a big rag and just stuck. Just, please, put me on, mount me above your, your chimney here. That's what he experiences. In this ram, we're told it's a substitute sacrifice. The Lord has seen to it. And so Abraham names the place, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And now, for the first time, the what God is really doing, it starts to unfold. We begin to realize that what has happened here has future Applications. See, it turns out, Isaac, he was just a prequel. He was just a prequel to the main story that's coming. In fact, this place where Abraham stands right then, Mount Moriah, that is the exact place where the Temple Mount is in Jerusalem, according to 2 Chronicles 3. And so God's people, for generations, they are going to offer substitute sacrifices, trusting that God will provide atonement for their sins. But we know. We know on this side of the cross even more that God will provide for himself a sacrifice. See, throughout this story, the text has been screaming at us, Jesus, this is about Jesus. This is to prepare us for Jesus and help us recognize him when he comes. Think about it. Abraham offers his son, his only son, whom he loves. At Jesus' baptism and his transfiguration, God uses almost the exact Same language about his son. This is my only son, whom I love. Isaac rides in on a donkey to Mount Moriah, the the site of the temple in Jerusalem. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus himself rides a donkey into Jerusalem. Isaac carries the wood for his own sacrifice, just as Jesus carried his own cross. Isaac escapes death after three days. Jesus raises again after three days. The ram gets his head caught in thorns, just as Jesus has a crown of thorns placed on his head. God provided a ram, which is a male lamb. Jesus is a male who is called the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The parallels are amazing. This is no accident. But there's one thing that's not parallel. There is one difference. And it makes all the difference. God spared Isaac. God will not spare his son. F.B. Meyer said it this way. So long as men live in the world, they will turn to this story with unwaning interest. There is only one scene in history by which it is surpassed. That where the great father gave his Isaac to a death from which there was no deliverance. God and Abraham were friends in a common sorrow up to a certain point. Though the infinite love of God stepped in to stay the hand of Abraham at the crucial moment, sparing his friend what he would not spare himself. God spared Abraham but he didn't spare himself. So as we look at this story, it's an unusual story. It's probably not the story that any of us would have ever written. There's a temptation. We can be tempted to apply this passage in a wrong way, to say, you know what, God is just making demands just to see what we'll do. He's given us the math test, right? That's not at all what is happening here. What's happening here is God provides everything he demands. God provides everything that he demands. What's happening here is that it's John three sixteen. It's that God loves you so much that he gave his son, his only son, Jesus, whom he loves for you. That's what's happening here. And so I, you know, I can't help but think there may be some of us this morning that really need to be reminded of Abraham's words. There's two things that Abraham says at the end of this chapter that I think we would do well to repeat and to remember. And the first one is this. God himself will provide the lamb. God himself will provide the lamb. He's the one that provides the sacrifices. We need to remember that when we're full of pride. You know, hey, I happen to know a lot about the Bible. I happen to have a lot of right answers. I vote the right way. I do the right things. Don't drink. Don't chew. Don't go with girls who do. Whoa, 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 whoa. None of us is earning our place anywhere. God himself provides the lamb. God himself Remember this when you're tempted to think God owes you something, you know? All right, God, I've come to church every Sunday for six months. I've done all your, my quiet times. Okay, so work your magic. Work your magic in my life, in my marriage, in my trials. Go ahead. I'm making all these sacrifices for you. Now it's time for you to do your job. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't make the sacrifices. Remember, God himself provides the lamb. Remember that when you feel like God is perpetually disappointed in you. Like he's just kind of up there looking down, shaking his head, waiting for you to get your act together. The Bible says, while you were still a sinner, while you still didn't have your act together, God provided the lamb. If you need to remember that this morning, listen, write it on the mirror in the bathroom this week. Make it the backdrop of your phone. Live your life knowing God himself will provide the lamb. And he has done so. So God doesn't need your sacrifice. Listen, it wouldn't be good enough anyway. All he wants from you is faith faith to trust that he has provided all that is required you know as i read this story too i can't help but think that there may be some here who need to rethink the tests and the trials that they're facing you know one way you could summarize the story would be this faith is letting go of everything except god that's what faith is letting go go of everything except God. But we all have our Isaacs, don't we? Those things that are precious to us. Those things that even God gave us, they were, they were gifts from him. But here's the problem. Often we tend to, tend to accept God's gifts not like this, but like this. With close fists and white knuckles because it's mine. Mine. Don't touch it. We all turn into little goblins, like, this is my precious, right? <laughs> I do that. Listen, this is, this is what's completely natural to me. This is what is in my heart. So we trust God to give it, but we don't trust God with it. I'll trust God to give it, but then I don't want to trust him with it. You know, there, there's a simple and brilliant way that you can catch a monkey. Any of us. Any of us can go out there and catch a monkey. It's really easy as it turns out. Okay? Here's all you got to do. It's the old monkey trap that's been around for centuries. All you got to do is take like a gourd or something. You cut a little hole in it that's just big enough for the little monkey's hand to fit through. And you put a tasty little treat inside. And when he reaches through and he grabs a tasty little treat, but with his hands clenched around the treat, he can't get his hand out of the trap. But he won't let go because it's mine. It's mine. All he's got to do is let go and he'll be free. But he won't do it. He becomes captive and trapped because he refuses to let go. The Bible says when we cling to anything but God, it enslaves us. It destroys our soul. But when we let go of everything but God, the Bible says that's the best possible thing for us because he loves us. So what's your Isaac? What's the thing God is asking you to trust him with even when you don't understand? Listen, like Abraham, it's an easy one. It can be our children, right? We love our children. We care about our children. We're thankful for our children, but sometimes we want to control what happens with them. It could be anything. It could be your marriage or career. It could be some sort of injustice that you're, you're experiencing right now. Whatever it is, listen, because God loves you, your idols will be tested. But it's not the test of a math teacher. It's the refining pot of the goldsmith. He wants to give you the most precious thing he can, faith. A relationship of trust with him. So today, this morning, as, as you sit down to eat potluck, as you walk out in the middle of your trial, when you he, feel the heat of the furnace, man, it's turning up, tell God like Abraham did. Here I am, tin hut. I trust you, and so I'm ready to go wherever you lead. And then, here's all you got to do. Just do the next thing. Your step of faith, like Abraham's, your step of faith it's just the next step. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to figure anything out. You just have to trust God enough to take the next step. And when you do, God will change your heart. When you trust God just in the next step, it's like he starts prying your fingers loose and you go from saying it's mine to going, you know what, it's all his. It's all his. And you learn to let go of everything but God. And when you do that, men and women, I promise, I promise, faith, it's worth the fire. The relationship of trust with God is worth the trial. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.